Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DeathStoreProds.com anime and manga podcast. As always, I'm dead, and if you hear a fucking buzzing noise and it bugs you, get fucked. It has been 45 and very fucking humid around here, and my room is 5 degrees hotter than anywhere else, so my air conditioner is plugged in because I have one of those now. Suck my nuts. Burgundy's also here. Okay. I don't know why I got that defensive about it. It just bugs me. Like, even right now. Like, it is very nice and cool. It is a balmy 66 degrees in my bedroom right now. And I can just see the fucking waveform of this. I can just see it is just slightly fucking thicker than it usually is. And that is annoying me to no end. But I need it. Otherwise, I die. But enough about that. We're here to talk about fucking anime and shit. All right. So, Birdie, um, I don't know if it was last show or even if it was the or it was this series. Um, you mentioned a you mentioned a manga series called Astra. What? Uh, Astra. It was a series that was mentioned. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, sorry. You cut out for a second. Sorry. Yeah. Astra. So you mentioned Astra. Um, so I went and read all of it. <laughs> you read the whole thing? Yep. I've only read the first three volumes. I think that's about half. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, and... um. I don't want to give anything away because, you know, that's what this thing is. It's built around twists. So let me okay, just let me say this: the reason I recommended this to you and the reason I got interested in it is that people said it's what if Cage of Eden had a good ending? Is it a good ending? Yes, with okay. an asterisk. All right. It's good in the sense that it ties up loose ends, does all that stuff, but it is very rushed. Because the series what? got axed. But it's not like a... It's not like a really like rushed thing of like, oh yeah, we didn't get answering any questions and everything's fucking no. No, by the end of it... Hold on a sec, Dead Man. Yeah. Well, shit. Okay, talk again for a second. Hello. Hello? Hello, I can hear you. What's up? How are okay. we going? Yeah, so for some reason, I was getting one out of every five words you said. Outstanding. Discord, everybody. <laughs> But anyway, uh, yeah, so with the ending of Astra, um, it feels very rushed, but not like a, but not like a rushed of, but not, it, all the questions got answered. Everything was answered and resolved in a satisfying enough way, and it showed what happens after this. Because they're, they're like, because like one of the chapters is an epilogue, because, you know, since it's about fucking teenagers... A lot of it is about their fucking dreams. Mm-hmm. And so... And so we get our ending. We get our little bit of, hey, this is this is where they ended up when they get when they get back. And then here is X number of years later. Who has reached their dreams? Who has not? Let's see where they are now. And it all feels... It all feels fine. It all feels like very much like this was the plan from the jump. This doesn't feel like this doesn't feel like the author was forced to change the ending entirely or 
like super fast track stuff. It just seems like he didn't give. It just seems like the author didn't get enough chapters to give the ending that he fully wanted. If that makes sense. So it's whereas Cage of Eden went on for a healthy number of chapters and ended stupidly. This should have had a few more chapters to wrap things up more effectively. Yeah, maybe like another fifteen. Yeah. Well, I was actually noticing. Um, I did some research on this when I decided to read it. Uh, this is from the a writer of a series called Sket Don. I don't know if you know what that is. I uh, do not. It's it's a kind of gag slice of life comedy series about a trio of teenagers doing um, comedic antics in a high school setting to like do odd jobs and help people. And the thing I most remember it for now is that it was wacky enough to show up in Gintama and get overshadowed completely. <laughs> oh. oh, wow. Wow, that's... That's rough. Yeah. And it had two pilot and chapters. I and I don't think the... Uh, I don't think the gulf of quality between uh, this and between Gintama and Sket Dance is as big as the gulf between the quality of this of what I've read so far in uh, Cage of Eden. Because Cage of Eden, between the fan service and just the ending, I kind of had to dock at so many points that I never had to dock when I was reading this, as far as I can tell. Yeah, like like with, with Cage of Eden, it seemed like the guy had the interesting idea of, all right, so... Plane crash, island monsters, everyone goes crazy. But then he, but then he apparently got bored of that halfway through writing it and started writing a different story. Yeah. With this, the story was kids lost to space, trying to get back, and that's the story. And it's it's also kind of weird because at the beginning they set up a they do the okay I guess not weird he, he does something that I like where he actually sets up. All right, we have this path to get home. We have this much time. We have this many stops. Let's go. It sets up a very clearly defined endpoint, which is which is a thing that I found I like in manga a lot. Where just once you get to this, this is the end of the story. Okay. And I I dug that. I dug that this was this had a very clearly laid out path, but it still it still had enough wiggle room in it with the characters, especially to have interesting twists, the characters to have good revelations and a lot of really good revelations about the world itself, which is weird to say about a universe, but still. Okay. Like there'll be, there'll be things in here that are said that you're like, Oh, that's kind of weird. And then they, and it comes into play with the big twist later and it all works. The, this, the series is very well thought out. Yeah, well, I mean, I thought the same thing of Sket Dance. It's just I felt bad that it kind of got stuck in this, like, high end of middle of the road of its genre where it's pretty good for its genre, but it doesn't do enough to stand out from a genre that it kind of ends up uh, stuck in the middle. Uh-huh. I, I'm afraid, some, given that this was canceled, I'm assuming that also happened to this. Yeah, but at least the author was nice enough to end it. Yeah. It's got a for realsies ending in there, and yeah, I, I I appreciate that. I appreciate that this was a mystery series 
series that answered all the questions that it set out to answer. Well, Cage of Eden answered its questions. We just like, no, you're fucking stupid. No, it didn't. What's the ghost crab claw? What happened to Hades? Other things. Yeah, the, the fucking the thing that brought down the plane was a fucking ghost crab claw grabbing it and snapping it in half, and then that's never addressed. It's just that happened. There are dinosaurs. Also, time travel. Also, murder. Man. Yeah, no, I do like Astra. Yeah, uh, I, I guess we can actually say for anybody. So for those who don't know, Astro Lost in Space is a manga that came out um, a couple years back. Well, actually, it's funny. Not even a couple. I guess it's technically a couple years back. It ran yeah. from the beginning of 2016 to the beginning of 2017. And somehow, despite it running in Shonen Jump in that time period, neither Dead Man nor I had never heard of, had ever heard of it. Oh, no. It was, it was this fucking little series that... Nobody ever knew about. By the time we actually figured it out, it had been over for a year. Yep. Which is so weird. Yep. But yeah, so um, the series is set in the future where a group of kids uh, are going on space trips. Uh, they, like, just every school has, like, hey, we're going out into fucking space. Get your parents on the permission slip and then fucking go. And so a group of kids are set out into space to do shit, and as they head out there, uh, they get swallowed up by a wormhole of some kind and end up floating in space right next to a derelict spaceship. Yep. And then from there, it is these kids, all of whom have their own different areas of speciality, with our main guy being, yeah, like, uh, I'm real like good at running and surviving. Yeah, like my favorite, one of my favorite moments from the first volume was that moment when the Dits discovered, uh, we all discovered that the Ditsy character had a talent for spatial awareness and like dimensional planning that none of them were apparently capable of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so then we have, and so we're running with this group of very specialized fucking 15 kids. As they try to traverse the universe to get and get home with limited resources, and it's smart. They actually so, so so when they get to that ship, it's like all right. So yeah, we need to get home. Uh, this thing's like fucking engines are weird or whatever, or they are so far away from where they need to go that their air and food and stuff wouldn't last the entire trip. So they so they're just like oh, fucking daisy chain planets. Yeah. And the, so every... The, the ditzy one is the one to point out, hey, um, why don't we just look for other planets that are habitable and then just restock there and then keep going? Yeah, and everyone's like, fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, and so which, they se- just- which, which seems like one of those, like, duh, that's the obvious thing, but... The- one, they're all panicked. Two, most people, their natural urge is to get back to what's normal immediately anyway. Yeah. So it doesn't feel quite as much like, well, duh, everyone should have thought of that. Yeah, like like most people when they go into panic mode, it's all, it's like, all right, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Let's go. It's like, oh, the straight line's fucked. Oh, God, we're going to die. 
But no, they they set it up. Um, these kids, while they are kids and they do very much act like children, uh, they're all still very intelligent, and the writing gives each of them something to do. Like even even the even like the fucking nine year old ends up like having some few critical moments in this, and every arc is just we get to a new planet. What's trying to kill us here? But it works. It all just fucking... It all flows and creates a very whole narrative that by the end of it, you get answers to everything you had questions to. Okay. Yeah, Astro. It's pretty great. Check it out. Another series I will, that... I will finish it, then at some point, once I finish it, Dead Man, I can do a full retrospective on it. Yes. Um, another series that Birdie and I have read that ended recently was Robot Cross Laser Beam. God damn it. I kind of... Part of me... I think on some level I suspected this might happen. Because while I was... Whereas the jump forward to the tournament threw me at first, I thought it ultimately proved kind of a brilliant move because it kind of differentiated this series from the previous one. But I'm I'm getting the impression that that was done not as a as a creative boost of energy to the writing style to not just repeat himself from Kuroko Nobasuke. I get the impression that he was getting he was getting uh, shit from the editors saying, "Hey, this isn't selling very well. Can you do something to maybe liven this up?" So he sped up his through a portion of his story, and that held it up for a little while. But the readership still died. Yeah. Which is sad. Yeah. This, this is a good fucking book. Oh, man. I actually just went back and read a bit of Crokinobosuke, and I think I might actually like Robot Cross Laser Beam better. I'm not saying either is bad, I just like what he was trying to go for in laser beam than he, than what he was going for in Croco. Yeah. And this is, this is the rushed ending stuff that I was mentioning with something like a fucking, like something with a, like something that happened in Astra where like the whole thing is building up to, all right, it's fucking robo, it's fucking robo versus Yuzan and, we don't even get that. We don't even get the start of that. We get they meet three days before they might fight each other. Yeah, like we literally end with, oh, Robo won the tournament that is necessary for him to start arguably the main story. And we cut to black two pages later. Yeah. That's right. I made it through the first round of that tournament I need to get through. Oh, that's the end? We're done? Okay. Hi, rival. Let's not even tee off against each other right now and do it five days later. You won't get to see that, though, so get fucked. Oh, God. Yeah, it's... It's sad. It's really sad. Yeah. The characters were finally starting to make them well, at least a couple like I finally figured out what purpose um, that friend who got Robo to start doing golf originally's purpose in this story would be and it's uh -huh. it works 
Um, yeah. There's still a lot of the characters from the high school stuff. I get the impression that they would have been fleshed out a lot more if we hadn't just skipped all of his high school golf career. But yeah. That's what happened. Yeah, a lot and- more comedy <laughs> coming out of the former first place running guy and that and uh, that one dude's sister. Yeah. That just out the window. Anything with the other members of the fucking anything with the regulars of the fucking high school f- golf team. Yep. Cuz like they were set up as they were set up in the beginning as like, you know, the team. We're, we're supposed to like, hey, spend some time with these guys, get to know them, see some tournaments with them and stuff, get to, get to like them more as characters. And then when we see in the future, when they've like fucking stopped doing this shit, then it you actually feel something. But in this, it's you see them, you see you, well, you quote unquote see them do fucking four holes each, and then we never see them again. Yeah. Oh god. But yeah, robot cross laser beam was sad. It's sad to see it go. Yep. But I may have found the next sports thing to tide me over until I get another sports thing. Uh Hanibato. Yeah, I watched this too. Um It's good. Yeah, so um New anime season has started. Uh, Cora, Arda working away on those reviews. Um, not like like the last couple seasons. There's not been a whole lot that actually that's actually like grabbed my attention. Is like, oh, I might actually watch this. Well, I mean, it's it, it this season in particular seems like there's kind of a dearth of stuff that's interesting to talk about because so much new interesting IP stuff came out last season, and this one is just. It's either continuations or just odd stuff that you kind of have to pick through based on what other people say. Uh Like, there's one series I'm going to watch when it comes out because it's from the same creator as as a comedy I'm very fond of, but I haven't. It hasn't come out yet, and I'm gonna. I've technically read one of the things that's coming out this season. And I'll talk about that with you tonight when we get to it. But there's not that much stuff I'm all that interested in. Hmm. Yeah, and actually, going back to what you're saying with like just word of mouth stuff, that's actually why I ended up checking the series out because Cora, I was editing his review for it, and it he compared it he compared it favorably to Haikyuu. or maybe not favorably. He just compared it to Haikyuu. and. Okay. I was like, oh, okay, I might as well check this out then. Because previously, I had actually tried reading the first chapter of the manga when I saw this was coming up. I was like, oh, sports. Might get that a try. Let's check out the manga it's based on. Oh, well, this is just some stupid gag bullshit. Who gives a fuck? Oh, really? The original the manga is uh, like a four-coma type thing? No, no not four-coma, just like more comedy-based. It's, it's told from the point of view of the coach. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Just from what I've seen, that seems like an odd decision, but all right. <laughs> yeah, I, I mentioned this on Twitter. It basically feels like a different series. Well, yeah, just from what I've seen and what you're describing, it would have to be a different series. Yeah, because with Hanibato, the anime, it starts out and we are in a tournament. It is 
badminton tournament, um, high school. A gorgeously animated tournament. A, yeah, very well animated. From the guys who made Killing Bites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they did. They also made Terraformars. <laughs> what is life? Uh, who the who the fuck knows anymore, bro? But anyway, yeah. So is this fucking gorgeously animated uh, fucking match where one of our leads uh, ends up losing twenty-one to nothing to our other lead? Yeah, and, and apparently just the result of it is that neither of them are happy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh yeah, we get we get a look at them afterwards. Um our main lead is collapsed on the ground, crying, going, What do I even play badminton for? Cut to the dressing cut to the changing room where our other lead is looking dead eyed at a poster of somebody who has a bow that is way too anime for this series. And goes, yeah. What do I even play badminton for? Crumples it up and runs away. Yeah. Cut to six months later and going full high queue, uh they're at the same high school together. Yes, but as opposed to high queue where it was like, Hey yeah, like I I lost the thing and it's all really fucking fun. Don't worry, we're gonna be getting back into it and then we have a like a friendly rivalry. This is our main lead has become so obsessed with Batman to the point that she's actually driving away club members because she's doing nothing but essentially torturing them with badminton. Yeah. And, and, and that's the kind of the central selling point of the drama element of this is that that for some reason that match destroyed both characters because one is frustrated that she feels she should have won and didn't and that's frustrating and the other is like I got nothing out of that so why am I doing this? Yeah, well, like with the first one, it's not even so much like I should have won that. It's it's I have worked so goddamn hard against every against like every single fucking obstacle that's come up my way, and I couldn't get a point. Yeah. And then another one is just damn eh, badminton's weird. Fuck it, whatever, dog. Like, I don't really see a point in playing anymore. Just fucking it's sports. Just be just doing like a very very somber version of Tsukishima from fucking Haikyuu. Yeah. Yeah, and it's all very dramatic. It's all done with like very sparse music yeah. behind it, and any maybe, of it is is very sad, like trying to get the emotion dramatic. across. What was that? Because um, there's a couple of moments in this that I'm like, okay, you guys are pushing this a little bit in terms of melodrama. <laughs> No, yeah, that's 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 a bit that's fair. Like, what moments do you have? What moments do you have in mind? Like, um, they're, okay, some of them were more forgivable because they're just kind of tropes of the genre. Like, uh, the the despondent one just suddenly defending a friend using her mad skills, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, you're amazing!" Yeah. Or uh, or the the rival accidentally discovering that her the opponent that defeated her is now a student at school and not playing badminton. Not that her old opponent is now at her school and not playing badminton at all. Like that stuff is kind of fine. The big one I kind of have problems with is the ending because I know it's a trope 
to set this kind of thing up. And given the the nature of the two characters, I guess it was kind of bound to happen. But this feels way too much like a get in the fucking robot Shinji moment. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Yeah, I get that. Um, Because in the case of Haikyuu, the the tone and the nature of the two characters were such that, yeah, they were both upset by what happened, but it hadn't, like, broken them. Yeah, like, like their frustration about what happened isn't, oh, I lost, whatever will I do. Their thing was, I lost, so I can't play more. It, it was never. It was never like a, oh, volleyball is, volleyball is dead to me because I because I'm too good or too shit. It is just, we're just like yeah, we fucking lost, but that means we can't play anymore, and that fucking sucks. As opposed to these bitches, which is, I lost slash I won, so everything is pointless. Yeah, yeah. Core mentioned this in his review, and I agree with it. Where Haiku is very much about, like, especially even in the beginning, is very much about the teamwork. That comes inherent with volleyball, yeah. whereas this is more about isolation. Yeah, and I agree with that for the most part. But because of that, you can't do the same plot beats that Haikyuu did. Because if if it doesn't fit with the characters you're writing, then it's just going to feel awkward and forced. When a girl we've met maybe twice over the course of 20 minutes is suddenly telling her friend who apparently is not familiar with her backstory, to say, you know, you should really play uh, more badminton. You shouldn't just be running away. Yeah, they've been in the same classroom since kindergarten. Never knew she played badminton. <laughs> like, I, feel, I feel like a lot of the incongruity there comes from, the, comes from like how much they change from the source material. Okay, so you're saying some elements of the source material do bleed through and they don't fit as well anymore? Yeah, like, um, like, remember that scene where she, like, fucking, where second protagonist fucking saves her friend with her dope-ass fucking badminton skills in tennis? Okay, so that was played for comedy? No, that didn't happen. The whole tennis thing never happened. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, like what, happened in the, what happened in the manga was the coach was walking around, ran into these two girls, and then he's, and then one of the girls, the second protagonist, climbed a tree without using her hands what and, and then she, and then he's like oh fucking shit you're dope fuck let me grope your hands for a second and then he does and then her and then another friend is like get the fuck off out of here you weirdo it's like hey you're left-handed right you got fucking calluses in your shit play badminton <laughs> yeah like it is it is vast how fucking why the gap is between these two goddamn series because with that because like that that whole like backstory thing that's relegated to description from that from the glasses character to the coach we don't actually see that like it starts out with the coach in the in the fucking gym saying hey what's up i'm your new coach i was almost gold medalist i'm gonna make a fucking gold medalist let's fucking go roll call and then we get our fucking character introductions And none of them have the drama that they have in from the other series. Like in like in the in the anime, um, main one, uh, Nagisa. What the fuck is her name? 
The tall one is Nagisa. Um, I think the the shorter one's Ayano. Yeah, well, Nagisa is... She isn't, like, despondent or being super shitty to everyone else. She's just fucking pouty and grouchy. Okay. Um, Our other character... She's not saying shit like, I'm blaming everyone else for stuff I can't do. No. <laughs> no, she's just like, I lost that match, so I'm mad. Also, fuck you, coach. Who has blonde hair, you piece of shit? <laughs> our glasses character, our fucking... Glass's older best friend, she she seems to have this weird admiration for the coach or like the way he talks or whatever. Um, and like the other half of the fucking thing where like you, you know how in the middle of the episode a bunch of characters quit? Yeah. They quit beforehand. Like we don't even get to meet them in the manga in the first chapter. It's like, yeah, they quit. It's like, oh what they why they quit? Well a few of them got well a few of them got the flu, so they quit. Like yeah, okay. So I'm thinking that while, based on what you're describing, the changes in tone and storytelling are mostly for the better, um, they're not without their kinks. <laughs> yeah, like that. Like there's some elements of the source material that are still left dangling, and because of that, there's a few awkward moments that are just kind of difficult to move past it's specifically the coach i have a problem with yeah well i mean the guy who just jumps a fence and grabs a high school student's hands and starts groping them yeah in a serious story and he's not immediately fired with the police called on him (laughs) yeah just it turns like super anime as as the friend is like beat trying to beat him to death their fucking school back he's like nah bitch don't fucking hit me and then he comes in later and does a fucking pratfall. Yeah. Just really out of tone for the rest of the series. And then fucking Ayano walks in and it just goes to instant drama. Yeah. And like I said, that, that drama feels so... Maybe another uh, maybe another episode or two will help iron out those flaws and how that's presented. But it, it may, kind of makes Ayano's close friend seem like a callous bitch. And just saying, yeah, you know, you should get back into badminton. You should stop running away from it because you're so super talented. And if they don't acknowledge that dissonance between... Okay, this might be partially because I've been reading a lot. I, for some reason, I'm still reading uh, We Can't Study. <laughs> okay. And a core concept of that is just because you're good at something doesn't mean it's something you want to do. And... You shouldn't force someone to do something they don't want to do, even if they're quote-unquote good at it. Yeah. And that that dissonance is really irritating me here, because if there seems to be no... The, the whole dissonant thing is that people just keep saying, but you're talented, you should play. Yes, like, you're good really at this thing, so you, so you have to do it. But, like, the closest they come to acknowledging that kind of dissonance is when they say... when. Ayano says, "Why? Well, it's just a sport. It's pointless." And the, I guess the team captain goes, "It's not pointless. It's not pointless even if we lose." But at the same time, they're like, "We're just forcing." Her. There seems to be no awareness of the fact that they're trying to force a character who doesn't want to do something to do it, and there doesn't. I, I, I'm probably overthinking this ending more than I needed to, but it's just left such an odd emotional tone 
compared to everything else they had set up. And maybe it'll be fixed by further episodes, but this is just a weird tinny note to end an episode on. Yeah, it's odd. Because like it's like it's supposed to be getting like, tonally. I think it's supposed to be getting you excited for this rematch between these two characters, and I'm just like, yeah, no, neither of you are really in a position psychologically to where you should do this. This is just going to cause more pain. <laughs> yeah, it's either it's either going to end with like it's either going to end with um, Iano winning, being forced into doing this, and just having spending the rest of her life playing badminton with no emotional weight to it, eventually leading to her killing herself. Or Nagisa, or like I, I can only see this. I can only see this going the way of Nagisa loses, and it's either going to be, and it, like with what they set up, either going to be Iano fucking forced to do this, even though she hates it, or Nagisa just tries to kill her. Yeah, because this is going to sound weird, but the the smartest thing this would do, but it wouldn't fit with the genre, would be to pull a Mob Psycho one hundred where. Iana wins and then joins like the rope jumping club or something. <laughs> it's like, hey, I it's like, hey, I won, cool. Okay, but I'm gonna go join the literature club. And then just keeps accidentally getting into getting into fucking badminton matches while holding a book. Yeah. Using the book as a racket. And like I know that the, that description sounds super ridiculous and tropey, but it's 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 just the it's just subversion of the tropes of this thing. It's just doing the tropes, and I wouldn't mind the. Tro- I like the tropes of good sports series. It's just it has to fit with the character writing, and some of these elements don't fit the character writing. Yeah, but I mean, it looks gorgeous. I mean, I like the the score. I like the I like the characters for the most part. Uh, uh, a few minor moments, like let's say with the coach or the best friend of Ayano, some of that's a little messy, but that could be ironed out with more development. Um, but no, it's just these weird moments of clunky, clunkily forcing the story to move forward that are yeah. just kind of bugging me. <laughs> yeah, I actually would like to get you to take a look at the first chapter when you get a chance, and just just so you can see for yourself and make and make sure like I'm actually getting the idea across right about how fucking weird it is. Okay. Uh, from there, uh, I watched the first I episode. I probably talked too much because I didn't really get your final opinion on it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, uh, I enjoyed it. it okay. Yeah, it had, it had moments of like weird dissonance between what it's set up to be and just kind of like the bleed over of what it was. But I find that the tone switching switching over into drama makes it stand out a bit more from other sports series like this. Um, like, yeah, it is running through the tropes and they don't necessarily always work for drama, but what they do manage to work into the drama aspect of it, I think works really well. Um, our characters, I find them interesting and I want to see like actually a rela- how that relationship develops. And I want to see where this goes. I want to see what they're actually going to do with it and how, And I want, I want to, yeah, I just, I just want to see where they go with this because this could go a lot of ways. Yeah. And I want to see where it ends up. Okay. I don't think I'd agree with Cora's 4.5 out of 5. No, I, I said I'd probably give it like a 
bet- maybe between a three point five and a four. I think I'd settle like a. I think I settled on a solid four. Yeah, like I was like I don't know why the ending of the first episode bothered me as much as it did, but <laughs> well, it all it, it it felt like browbeating. Just this girl comes up and goes, "No, please, for love of God, you literally had to force me, forcibly drag me here against my will." I don't want to do this. And then literally everybody in that room is bitch play me. Does that that's the end of it. The end of it is so, the end of it is somebody starts crying and then some bitch says, "Hey, play me person who doesn't want to play me." Yeah. Yeah, overall I I did enjoy it. Uh the animation is the strongest point of the series. Yeah. No, I I'm surprised that the thing I'm most familiar with this company for is killing bites because I would have thought that this quality of animation would have come from a more storied studio. But Yeah. I think they also did like a Kashuk record of a bastard school teacher. Which is another, which is another thing that would make more sense for a studio. I'm not all that familiar with to do versus this. <laughs> Because that didn't look nearly as good as this. Yeah, like that first thing, that was like fucking Haikyuu Season 3 level shit for me. Yeah. Like you could see the musculature, the shift, the subtlety of motion coming off of some of the digital series that don't do, like, that are often really stiff with the motion. I was actually shocked. Yeah. If nothing else, like, if, if nothing else, if you're interested in, like, some fucking quality animation... Just the opening scene of this fucking show will do it for you. Yeah. Anywho, moving right along. I uh, watched a couple episodes of Hinamatsuri. Ah. The thing that made me watch something I'm kind of regretting watching, but we'll get to it. <laughs> Continue. Yeah, it's Hinamatsuri. Um, yeah, it's fun. What? It's fun. It's just fucking fun. No, yeah, no, it, definitely. It's it's the feel good comedy smash about time traveling psychics for the season. <laughs> yeah, I haven't gotten to where like so the thing that got me into it was a mother's basement video. Yeah, yeah, I know the one you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, where he talked about what happens later. That's kind of what got me into it, and I haven't gotten to that point yet. Okay. Like I think the last thing I got to was um. After the, uh, what's the blonde girl's name? The blonde psychic? Uh, oh, crap. Uh, Owie, I think, or something like that. Like, Fuck it, blonde psychic. Um, yeah, the last, last thing I saw was blonde psychic realizing her return device was fucked. Because it got left in the wash. Yeah, and after that, she's left as a homeless person. <laughs> yeah, I haven't gotten there yet. That was both like, but strictly what it was funny at first, but it got funnier when other characters started showing up, interacting with her, and so I go, "This is fucked." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is just a fucking really solid gag series. It's a really solid fucking comedy bit with some really good characters, good character interacts with each other, and a surprising amount of heart to it. Like, this is kind of different from, um, 
Hanabato in that Hanabato mind emotion by changing the source material. This manages to find a lot of heartfelt emotional moments by just kind of leaning into the most absurdly kind of heartfelt moments of the source material. Yeah, it is like speaking of dissonance, it is it is odd having a series that is this fucking comedy have moments of like genuine fucking emotion. Yeah, like I said, the first episode its big emotional moment is a tw- is a 14-year-old girl saying, "I've at last become a woman." And I was like, no. Ah. <laughs> 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 <sighs> Yeah, I don't really have much else to say about it. It's just kind of great. Yeah, I th- actually, Anzu, that's the name of her, I think. Yeah, okay, that sounds that sounds better than Aoi. Yeah. Yeah, just kind of great. Uh, for those who haven't seen it or heard of it, really, um, based on manga, it is about a low, about like a mid-tier Yakuza thug um, having a girl, having a girl with psychic powers land in a metal pod in his living room. And they just kind of start living and working together, forming a father-daughter relationship. She starts, she forces herself on him, like, not, like, sexually, but, like, I'm going to live here. And he's like, no. Like, fuck and then she no. Starts breaking st- Get the fuck out of here, bitch. And then she levitates his collection of antique plates ready to smash him. <laughs> like, no, fucking fine. Okay. Shit. Don't break my collection. I spent so much money on that. I'm pretty sure one piece of in, cl- in his collection is a painting of an antique plate. Yeah, and then from there, like I said, series grows. We get more characters. We get more interactions and relationships with other characters. And things just escalate. Not to, like, anime levels, but, like, emotionally escalate. Although they do do some of the anime level joke takes on stuff. That I kind of appreciate, like um, you got to this, like you obviously got to the episode where the uh, blonde psychic showed up, and they have a showdown of psychic powers, which is just making a person look <laughs> away. Yeah, there is some kind of fucking game, I guess, where you just like try to trick people to look in different directions. Yeah, and what they did was was they set it up so that they would play that game. With a 10 second rule. So you, could use your, so you could use your awesome psychic powers to try to make that person look in the direction for 10 seconds. And so it's just, they point in a direction and then this incredible gust of wind happens and their face is just fucking. Uh, yeah, yeah that's, that's basically as big as it gets of just, we have these awesome psychic powers and we're going to use them to play children's games. Man, I I would need to get further into it to have more to say about it. Because first few episodes are just kind of yeah. hey, a lot of good jokes and some heartfelt moments. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to like how you get stuff like uh, like I, I know when I talked about it last time I was talking about how he has a fight with Hina and forces her to leave for what he thinks is legitimate reasons, and the whole world turns on him. He's like, no, fuck you. Have her birthday. Take her to school. Be a fucking father. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. 
Yeah. Anywho, moving right along to the manga stuff. So I read a one shot that came out uh, this year. Okay. Uh, it's called Count Over. It's uh, from a guy named uh, Shindo Masaki, who I don't think it's done anything else of real note. And so, in this story, uh, in the States, um, there was a large prison escape. Like, one dude specifically uh, broke 206 inmates out of prison, and they formed essentially a terrorist gang. And all of them have some kind of weird special power or ability shit or whatever. Because, of course, they do. So then that gang starts terrorizing uh, people in New York City. And a cop's like, fucking goddamn, we gotta deal with this shit. Then some kid with a robot arm and a samurai sword shows up and kills them all. And a samurai and his a robot arm has a golf countdown thing in it. You know, you just like it has there's like fucking three rows of digits and you just click them. And then they go down. And he's like, Yeah, so I'm here to murder all these kids. I'm here to murder all these guys. One of the guy in charge is my brother. This feels like a pilot chapter. Oh, sure. And I think it could work. I can see this working as a, I can see this working as a full series. Okay. Like our main our main guy, uh, he is our main guy. Should not be the guy we follow for the series. It should be the cop because we, because we get a cop who spends a good chunk of the series who spends a good chunk of the uh, chapter following our main guy around. And our main guy, he is. Like, yeah, I'm a samurai. I come from Japan. I'm just here to fucking kill these assholes. But he also acts like a, like a monkey tourist, I guess. Spends his time riding around on top of cars and jumping around shit. And like, ooh, the Statue of Liberty. I want to go there. And goes there to fight people. And our cop is just kind of... So he's Russell Crowe? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. But yeah, and the cop is just like, fucking... God damn it. Just calm the fuck down, you piece of shit. So yeah, if they had, so yeah, if they actually had, if they just did go out to a full series, we would need to follow the cop, I think. The cop, just just him, exacerbated by everything that's happening, but still having to do his fucking job of tracking down criminals. Mm-hmm. That I think that would work a lot better than following the story of this fucking kind of asshole going to kill his brother. Because, yeah, what's more appealing than, hey, what what if we followed Sasuke, but Sasuke wasn't a downer? Just, what if Sasuke was the main character of Naruto? Nope. <laughs> do, the, do the trades come with packed-in razor blades for you to cut yourself with? No, you, you open, a, you open a, uh, a volume of it and just hear Linkin Park. <laughs> It gets, it's like it's like one of those birthday cards where you yeah. open it up instead of playing Happy Birthday, it plays the first sixteen seconds of Crawling in My Skin. <laughs> so it's just crawling in my skin, and then it repeats forever while you're reading it. Uh kind of want to do that now. <laughs> Write a book and get it published specifically so that that, that we can do that to people. Just talk to whoever we have to and license 16 seconds of fucking crawling in my skin. 
oh, that'd be a colossal waste of money, and I want to do it so bad. But yeah, uh, like I said, it's a it's only a one shot right now. Um, from the reaction I've seen online, people seem to like it. So this okay. could lead into a new because this could lead in, lead into a full series. I don't know yet. Uh, but if it does, I'll fucking check it out. Uh, moving on from that, um, new series started reading Pumpkin Night. You like slashers? I think I think I've heard of this, but I haven't read it. You like slasher movies? It depends. <laughs> you want a slasher manga? Not really. Well, two well tough fucking titties, bro. You got one. Yeah, Pumpkin Night is a slasher series. Just no bones about it. Just fucking... It is... It is everything you expect from a slasher series. A group like of high school... slasher, like the way the Japanese do it, or like the way Westerners do it? Like the way Westerners do it. Okay. But with, but with teenagers. Oh, okay. I guess... The second I said that, I was like, wait, America Slash is about teenagers, too. Fuck. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so yeah, this group of kids, uh, there were four of them. They mercilessly tortured this girl in when they were younger, uh, leading to a horrible accident that left her super fucked up and left at a mental institution. Some years later, she's broken out, is wearing a giant pumpkin head, and is killing them off one by one. So it's the plot of um, prom night. <laughs> yeah, basically, it's. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I'm surprised I was able to pull that out of my head. Like that's the plot of prom night, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and she even has her own unique weapon, which is a giant knife with an edged ice cream scoop on one end. <laughs> of course. Hell, she even does, she even does the goddamn fucking. Like when we when we first our first fucking bit of this is we see this like pretty looking popular high school fucking student hanging out at home and talking to talking to a friend of hers on her phone and then she gets a new follower on Twitter and that follower is a person wearing a pumpkin mask. She then gets a message. Oh. She then gets a DM from that person saying, "Hey, your real name. I'm coming to kill you." Oh, good. So it's if you cross prom night with unfriended. <laughs> Yeah, and then and then she just spends the next couple hours That's like the thing that should happen. Yeah, and then she spends the next couple hours just like on edge, like oh god, what's happening? Where's this all? That'll be terrible. Looks outside and like hears somebody knocking at the door. Looks outside and sees a person standing there. They're like oh god, who is that? What's happening? Zo- she manages like focus in a bit. It's like oh, it's an Amazon delivery guy delivering a package at nine p.m. in the mo- in fucking nine in the evening. Yeah. Heads down, opens the door, and the dude, the dude just falls forward onto her with a knife in his head as a girl, as a woman wearing a Japanese high school girl outfit and a giant pumpkin head mask comes in, uses the ice cream scoop to rip the front of her face off. Yeah, this is just full on like some Friday the 13th Halloween shit. Yeah, and then she runs into traffic as run over by a truck. And then from there, there are three other leads, one of whom, funnily enough, is named Naruto. <laughs> He's the popular one. Okay. 
Is that some kind of meta joke? I don't know. I don't know how much, like, how fucking in it, in on it these guys are. But, oh, yeah, the, so, four other kids there, uh, three, three dudes and a girl. Uh, they're all hanging, they're all hanging out like, oh, God, this is all fucking happening. What the fuck's happening? What the fuck's going on? They realize they've all been followed by the same person, Pumpkin Knight, on Twitter. It's like, oh, fuck, this is the murder, isn't he? And they know who it is. Like, they know the name of the person. They know what they did. And then fucking the girls. Yeah, I'm actually mad at myself that I mentioned prom night because now I have the stupidly earwormy disco theme from the first prom night stuck in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the girl Saki heads back into the school where the principal is then killed and gutted in front of her as the as Pumpkinhead uses the ice cream scoop to beat her head, to beat her fucking face in. Then ties up her body and puts her in the coffin with her dead friend. Because they were having the funeral at the school. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yep, they. Yep, that is then taken out to the fucking crematorium where that girl is burned half alive. And uh, yeah, it's uh, okay. just. This is just straight up a slasher series. Yeah, so it's right up your alley, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I am a big fan of slasher shit, and I like some of it, but I'm not a de- devotee. Yeah, this is just straight up fucking. This is just stone cold slasher shit. This ain't. This is this is comfort slasher stuff for you. Yeah, there ain't no there ain't no supernatural shit. It isn't it isn't fucking like killer goldfish or fucking mascots. It ain't. They're not ending up on an island. A goddamn a wind a windigo doesn't show up. Yeah, they're not. They're not trying to fucking, I don't know, put to rest the soul of a dead person. None of them are fucking time traveling. They don't have Hayden Panettiere walk around in underwear for two hours just to get close. Nothing. It's just mm-hmm. stone cold fucking murder. And I can appreciate that. Yeah. Like with the amount of fucking bullshit supernatural murder series that turn out to be about time travel, I fucking read. It's nice to see one that's just about a crazy person with a knife and ice cream scoop. It's comforting. I guess that must be... What's funny is I'm looking at a list of manga that have come out recently, and for some reason I stopped on one that just sounded too appropriate for you as you were talking about this, because it's a horror romance series called Can You Just Die, Please? Huh. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> this might be my darling, not please. I'm sorry, but uh, it, the can you just die part is there. Can you just die, my darling? One of the things that showed up was the misfits. <laughs> that seems appropriate somehow. <laughs> so here's a plot summary from Anime News Network. I want to kill you. Taku Kamashiro's love for Mika Hanazono was unrequited until one day when it changed into murderous intent. He's plagued by delusions of murdering Mika, but he hopes to defy those impulses, if he can. Yeah, I'll check this out. <laughs> I like murder. I like romance. <laughs> Might as well. Let's see what the fuck happens. 
Anywho. Moving on. Final thing to talk about. Um, Tomodachi game. Okay, this one I have no idea what it is. Yeah, I believe I talked about this on the show before a while back and kind of dropped off on it. But I've but I've gotten back into it um, after hearing a lot of people talk really good things about it. And yeah, I kind of dig this. Um, biggest problem with it, the thing that drove me away the first time was these plots are labyrinthine. Like, they have so many fucking moving parts and crosses and double crosses and double blinds and all kinds of fucking shit to obfuscate the point of what they were doing until the very end. That it... That I just kind of got tired of it after a while. Um, I think I read it in the right mood because I actually burned through the entire thing in a day. But yeah, so Tomodachi game. Uh, you got this kid. He is... I will actually look up his name because it is escaping me right now. Yeah, so Yuichi. Uh, he is... He is very much like, hey, fucking friends come first. Friends, not money. Even though he is poor... Uh, he is working fucking jobs and jobs and jobs to earn up enough money to pay for a class trip with all of his friends. Uh, the school, the class, raises collectively, um, I believe, 200,000 yen. Okay. Or like two, an insubstantial amount of money. Or like 2 million yen. It was 70,000 per person. And... Yeah, so everybody's like, yeah, it's going to be fucking happening. The next day, that money goes missing. And everyone's like, oh, fuck. One of, one of fucking Yuichi's friends must have did it. Those fuckers. But Yuichi is just, now nah, fuck that noise, dude. They're bros. This ain't happening. And so later that night, uh, Yuichi gets a note from all his friends saying like, hey, come meet me here in front of the school. All of his friends are there, and they all got messages from him saying to meet him there. They then all get tased and wake up in a featureless room where a children's anime character shows up and says, Hey, welcome to Tomodachi Game, fuckers. You are doing this to pay off a debt. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember the exact numbers here, but I think it was... Yeah, it was a $20 million debt, or 20 million yen debt, um, and one of his, and one of Yuichi's friends, one of the five people in this group, had to pay 2 million yen, 10% of the debt, in order to actually get involved in this, in this game to have that debt wiped away. Which was the money that was stolen. So one of the fucking friends in this game stole the money specifically to pay to have them all join a death game for the purposes of clearing away their own personal debt. And the way they, the way they say it, um, it's like, Hey, if you want to fucking survive this game, trust your friends, no matter what. And every, and every single game is designed to instill fucking doubt in your mind about your friends. Hence why it's called friend game. Exactly. 
like I think the first like they, they all get name tags that have their debt on it. If anybody sees the if anybody if you show the back of your fucking card to anybody, then your debt is doubled. So nobody knows how much debt that person's actually in. It is supposedly each person shouldering an equal amount of debt, and then over the course of the games that changes. But unless you are sitting there keeping track of every single move and every single fucking bit every player gets, then their debts can be anything. And you just have to trust your friends that they're telling you the truth. And yeah, uh, as the series, as the games go on, um, they get more and more fucking hardcore about what's happening. Um, one of the friends actually just straight up is betraying them. Uh, but for reasons that we don't really learn about until later. And we also learn that Yuichi, our main guy, is a psychopath who's murdered people. Like, three, he's murdered three people. And we actually see him as a kid. And the only reason he decides to have friends is because he thinks having friends would be interesting to tear their lives apart. Oh, good. And I bet he's one of those guys who blames the concept of crime for his... Horrible acts. No. Nah. He knows he's a piece of shit. Okay. Well, that's more refreshing than I would have thought. Yeah, like, like it's, it's weird. We see, we see him when he's, like, a child, and he has a he has an adopted mom who is like, hey, like, hey, yeah, money is good. But you know what's even more important than money? Friends. Friends are, like, all this shit. And she describes friends to him, and he kind of, like, misconstrues the concept. Because she's, like, because, like, the questions he asks is, like, uh, she's like, yeah, friends are people who will do anything for you. They're your best. They're all, they're they're always they're always there for you. He's like, wait, there are people who will do things for me without me having to pay them. And he's like, fucking sick, let's do this. But then high school him actually does genuinely care about his friends. He just doesn't care about anybody else. Okay, so he's one of those people who. He's psychopathic in the sense that he does not have automatic empathy. Exactly. But it seems like he has grown automatic empathy because one of the things that he has to do, he uh, threatens to. So they go, they go with the, this group, his group of people. They get into a hide and seek game with another group of people. Uh, and the hide and seek thing is one person on their team goes and hides. Um. Everybody on the team knows where the hider is, but nobody on the other team does. And you have to try, and you have to, try to find the opponent team's hider. But they are at a severe disadvantage because with Yuichi's team, he has himself, one of the traders, and one of the people running the game. And the other, and the other team has a full five people. And one of the things they do is they kidnap, essentially, one of the members of the other team. Get trick him into betraying and turning over into his team, and then threatening to break all of his fingers. And over the phone, it sounds like he does that, but instead he broke one of his own fingers in order to trick the guy that he's trying to find into giving up his location. So yeah, he's able to like read people and play off their empathy and use their own goodwill and nature against them. But he's not a horrible monster about it. He kind of is, but not really. It's weird. Like, you see hints of what he used to be of just this fucking emotionless shitbag who 
who enjoys the idea of messing with people and getting them to commit horrible acts or whatever. But he also sees that he has grown as a person and is like action is, and has actually become a person who can have friends and genuinely a care for people. Just there's still that other shit in him, which is interesting. I like that. I like that idea of, I like, I like the, I like the way that they're handling it. I like the way that they are, they're like treating his character, like treating his like fucking sociopathy and whatever as not just the be all end all of his character. Which I was not sure they that they handled properly. I kind of dropped off before they really started getting deeper into his character. Like I got to the point where he said, "Yeah, I've murdered three people. Fucking come at me, bros." And then I think I stopped the first time, so I didn't really get into exploring more of that. But now we have, and things are getting more interesting because they have just entered the adult Tomodachi games, where the stakes are bigger. The debt is bigger, and now they're in a now they're on a gambling ship where the only way to make money is to sell your friends. Like every friend is given a monetary value. You then have to sell them, bet with that money, and then use the money that you win to buy them back. And yeah, uh, like labyrinthine fucking things are still there. They are still very much like we have this fucking eighty-five thousand step plan to get you to do what we want, and we are gonna look like we and we are gonna look like we lost fucking eighteen times. And I will act the fuck out of that. But I'm enjoying it. So, but I'm enjoying it still. I've still I've found it to be I found it to be interesting. I've liked the characters, uh, their dynamic with each other. Uh, the mystery about like about like who actually running these things and everything else that gets revealed. I'm not going to spoil in here in case anybody else wants to go fucking read it. I'm liking all that stuff, and I yeah, I'm just really digging this series. It's kind of like um uh fucking Kakigurui. Oh, that thing, yeah, yeah. It's kind of that, but better. Because their actual stakes and things feel like they actually have weight behind them. If yeah, yeah, I yeah, I think I think I got that right. Yeah, I with Kakagurui, it was we have one person who was like, "I'm gamble monster, fucking suck my tits, assholes, I'm a win everything," and so no matter how often she quote unquote put things up to chance, she was always gonna win, and nothing ever felt. Like there was any real weight behind anything that they did. With this, our fucking lead character, he has he is actually out of the book for like fucking for like a fifteen chapter arc because he spent a previous chapter getting stabbed a lot. And yeah, I Tomodachi game. I recommend it. It is not just all fucking weird murder and time travel. It is. Like, actual thought was put into these things. A bit too much thought at times, but thought. And that's what I got. So, All right. Bernie. All right, so... Um, get the thing that um, I watched because it was made by the people who made Hina Matsuri out of the way first and because Cora talked about it. Uh, Island. Uh... <laughs> That good, huh? 
Yeah. When the most memorable thing that happens is that they do a gender-inverted um, tripping and falling and accidentally sexually assaulting someone thing, except it's a girl tripping and falling onto an unconscious guy's dick. <laughs> What? <laughs> Just. Yeah. You'd think falling onto his dick would wake him up. It did eventually. It just took a. <laughs> no, no, it's like he's unconscious. Fucking just, whoop, I fall, and then accidentally fucking face into your nutsack. You're just like, oh, Jesus, my balls! Because, <laughs> like. You'd... Must have balls of steel. That trope doesn't really work in reverse, because the dick isn't out there like breasts are. <laughs> like, yeah, I could see it yeah. if it was like, it was like, well, they trip stuff. And then she goes to get up and like her fucking leg or like, like her fucking thigh or whatever brushes against his slowly erecting dick or whatever. That's one thing. But falling face first into the dick. Anyway, continue. Yeah, the rest of it's just a series of uh, mystery tropes that don't really work for me. <laughs> like, okay, let me see if I can list all of the, tr the tropes of this kind of series. Um, they're on an isolated island that doesn't like outsiders. Um, main character washed ashore has no memory of who he was or how he got there. He just has a basic list of things he knows he thinks he's supposed to do in his head. Okay. He meets a girl who says something that he recognizes, and thus he recognizes her and accidentally remembers his own name. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but this feels like a visual novel. Yeah. And Cora, in his review, mentioned that, in a, and it was noticeable. And let's see what else is there. Um, the main character appears to have traveled back in time. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I know there it's not people? fair, but, like, fucking kind of fuck time travel. Like, unless you're, unless you're goddamn Steins Gate. <laughs> Just, like, stay away from time travel, please. Oh, uh, what else is there? Um, the girl who fell into the main character's dick is the rebellious daughter of a repressive conservative mayor. Naturally. <laughs> um, Goddamn kids and their rock music. There's a shrine maiden who's too awkward and clumsy to stand up straight, so when she says, you have to die, and tries to stab the main character, she just trips and flings it off out a window. Wait, what? Why? What? She was trying to stab him, tripped, and threw the knife out the window. Why was trying to stab him? Because, uh, apparently, her, her shrine divining has told her he needs to die for the sake of the island. <sighs> Like I said, tropes. 
Okay, would this series have been better or worse if it turned into school days right there? Uh, it's hard to tell at this point because it's <laughs> when it's just a list of tropes in a not particularly interesting mystery series, you can literally go any one of a number of different ways and it wouldn't really make anything much better or worse. It would just be a thing. Also, I'm looking at a picture of the characters, and is the Shrine Maiden the one who is illegal? To be fair, they all look illegal, but she looks the most illegal. Yeah, the most illegal. Particularly since they established in the, in the particularly in the, in the context the one of the who looks like the main she is five. Yeah, the, the, especially since they established the main character is 20. Oh. <laughs> They established that the other two are in high school, so that's not as bad. But when you draw them that lolly, it's distract. It makes it worse. Uh, and I don't know how much of that is from the original visual novel, and how much of that is studio feels uh, well, ideas for drawing these characters. Well, here's a screenshot from the visual novel. Okay, no, no, he's just going straight from the visual novel. Yeah, visual novel, man. It. I've played a chunk of them. If there's anything, it's like, oh, was it, did they like fucking make it worse, or was it from the visual novel? It's probably from the visual novel. Yeah, but even so, um, considering what studio feel basically took what was good about Hina Matsuri's artwork and art design and made it better and more dynamic and flowing. This just kind of takes the worst elements of visual novel direction and makes it worse. Yay! Because it just looks like so many other anime that are just kind of set on a tropical-ish island. You gotta love boring art direction. Yeah, so between boring art direction... A tropey mystery series and a lot of very lolly artwork. And I'm getting the impression that this isn't going to be one of those lolly series where the most lolly character starts stabbing her own neck onto a knife. If only. They had the entire um, Higarashi series on sale and I was really tempted to buy it. And I mean the visual novels. Yeah, I know. I was really tempted to buy it and actually play through them all for the YouTube channel. <sighs> but yeah, um, this isn't really giving me a strong first impression. <laughs> and unfortunately, I'm seriously worried that there's not going to be any good sci-fi series this season. Because I'm looking at some of the other options and they're not great. Like, there's one involving a, a, a zombie battle series... And there's a weird Calvary one involving... There in Fortress? No. No. Uh, you know, I can't remember what it's called. Um, there's the one with cat robots. Uh, was it called Planet With? Uh, what's this thing? Was... Trying to remember the name. It's not... Yeah, this... Him. This is not probably going to be a good season for sci-fi. <laughs> Other than yeah, I'm getting fucking... Attack on Titan, which I'm not 
I don't give a shit about Attack on Titan anymore. <laughs> well, nah, bro. They got fucking Zoids. Oh, is that this season? You ready for fucking Zoids Wild, bro? Honestly, compared to this, yeah. <laughs> you ready for Space Bug? I've never even heard of that. The B-movie spinoff looking thing where they go to fucking space? No, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just... It, this is not a good way to start. I'm glad I watched Hanabato because otherwise this would have been a really shitty way to start off the summer season. Well, okay. hey, we got fucking new Felicoli. Yeah, I haven't watched that yet. I probably should, just out of curiosity. But I haven't yet. Okay, speaking of weird shit from this season, Backstreet Girls. Okay. Do you know what this is? No, I do not. Okay. I'll sum it up like this. One, it looks like prison school. Ugh. Two... The premise is a Yakuza who is obsessed with Japanese idol groups takes three of his henchmen who owe him a lot of money, forces them to go to Thailand to undergo a sex change operation, and turns them into his own personal idol group. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, that is so fucked. Yep. And the first chapter is basically just, like, straight PTSD shit with, like, one of these cute little girls that used to be men drinking, like, an entire bottle of whiskey and remembering how she spent, like, three weeks trapped in a single room watching idol groups and how they were, like, tortured into changing their vocal vocal patterns to fit with a cute girl idol group. Jesus Christ. And, And this is somehow supposed to be funny. This sounds like a horror series. Yeah. I guess the, the, it's a comedy series in that the, the the juxtaposition of the the girl versions of these characters and the male versions of these characters is I is funny in concept, but when you pair it with the backstory, you're like this is fucked. Yeah, that's super <laughs> fucked. Just what the Oh, God. And you combine that story with the weird, like, hyper-realistic anime aesthetic of prison school. Yeah, this all sounds bad. Yeah, I don't... This is apparently really popular. I don't get it. (laughs) Oh, I... Dude, fucking just wait. In, In a fucking... In like a month and a half, we're going to find out that fucking, what is it, Island is like stupid popular. Yeah, I could understand that being more popular than this because Island is not really offensive. It's just, it's a whole bunch of tropes that I'm personally sick of. This. Well, you say it's not offensive, but one of the main girls is five. Yeah, but it's a trope, and it's a trope I'm personally sick of because I hated it from the beginning, but they keep doing it, okay? It's a trope I'm sickened by. 
yeah, I understand that. But I also understand that for a lot of people, that's a trope. I'm not sure how you can look at this story of this series and laugh. I just, I don't get it at all. If it was intentional, like if they, if the, if the guys decided, if the dudes who were, if the dudes who had the sex change operation decided to do it themselves. Yeah. And they only decided to do it in that their boss gave them the option of become, take, undergo a sex change operation or have your organs harvested. That's not a choice. Yeah, that's not a choice. But if the guys had been like, all right, yeah, fuck, like, we've really fucked up with our boss. What the fuck are we going to do? Oh, wait, he loves idol groups, right? Well, I know this fucking doctor. Yeah, that could potentially be funny. Yeah, and, 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 the com- and then the comedy was them them trying to make their boss feel better and not hate the guy versus themselves while trying to keep hidden the fact that they are guys. Yeah. That's and one like, thing. But, but, like, most of the humor is just that their their boss you is an your abusive... dicks chopped off, you fucking rubes. Their boss is an abusive asshole who's constantly nitpicking ways that he thinks they're not fitting as an effective idol group. And, like, he hires this production manager to help sell them as an idol group. And they keep... He keeps trying to get them to act like he, he thinks they're teenage girls, but then they keep acting like 40-year-old men. And he just doesn't understand. And I, that's... That should that would be funny if we didn't know what had happened. Yeah, like if we didn't know from the big from the get that they had been tortured and sexually altered to fit this thing, that might have been one thing. Because then we would have been like, "Wait, what the hell is happening?" But with yeah, the context, you're just horrified. <laughs> yeah, it is straight up a horror series. But yeah. Hey, so maybe news. it's maybe it's a Five Nights at Freddy's situation where they're conce- the the characters are conceived in a lighthearted, goofy way, but have to be recontextualized as a horror series to be effective. Maybe who knows? All I know is that there is one uh, anime that's coming out this season that is based off of an RPG Maker fucking game. Yeah, I heard about that. I haven't watched it. Yeah, do you want to see some? Of, you want to see the fucking key art that they used for the fucking game? They took that. They took that fucking edgy first web comic aesthetic looking fucking thing <laughs> and made that into a shoujo manga and an anime from the same company that did Backstreet Girls. Uh. JC Staff has four anime this season. They got Backstreet Girls, Angels of Death, Planet With, that uh, that other sci-fi one you mentioned with the fucking cat robot. Yeah. And one called High Score Girl. That one at least sounds mildly interesting because that's a slice-of-life comedy about 13-year-olds who are obsessed with video games trying to act like sensible people. <laughs> yeah, that actually does sound pretty funny. Like of the four you mentioned, that's the one I would be most interested in watching, because it and doesn't. That's the one that's premiering me. last. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, premiering on July thirteenth this year. Yeah, so Deadman, unless you really want your opinion on this shit, avoid it like the plague. <laughs> yeah, fuck, yeah, that fuck that thing. 
That is that is nightmares. Okay, so that's all for the new stuff this season. So I have one more anime and then some manga. Um, I guess I forgot to keep doing this, but uh, in another installment of Netflix did what? Um, Be the beginning. Right, yeah, I, I've seen this around, and I think I've been meaning to watch it. Yeah, this was one of the two series from that first dump of anime that Netflix dropped where I was surprised at the quality of studios they got to work on it. Like, Ico Incarnation was made by Studio Bones, and this was made by Production IG, and you can fucking tell. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell by the fucking promo art. Yeah. And the fact that this might have some of the most fluid fight animation of any TV anime I've seen in a while. But the question is, is it any good? Eh. Okay. Okay, I don't know. Speaking of production IG, you might not remember this. Because it was probably a little before your anime time, I don't know. But what this most reminds me of is Darker Than Black. Ah. Do you know I've, what that is? I've seen a bit of it. Okay. Like, that's the one where people have powers, but they have to do weird shit to get them to work, right? Yeah. And it's mostly... Okay, so the and plot-wise, it's not the same, because this is some fictional, um, law-abiding uh, royal kingdom of Cremona, where there is a serial killer going around murdering other serial killers called who, who whose only call sign is a letter B stitched into something at the crime scene. Uh, they call him Killer the B, end- so I can wait to hear him rap. Yeah. At the beginning of the first episode, uh, these three um, deliverance fuckers are hunting a woman that they drugged and chained up through the woods. See? And are about to rape... Oh, wow, that, rape that, that broke hard. That's actually pretty appropriate for what you're dealing with here, but uh, see me. They tried to rape her and cut her head and skin her, but something fell out of the tree and cut both the, all their two of their the two that were so there's three brothers. One watches a camera, watches through a camera. Two are do the thing. The two that were out in the field got their heads cut off. <laughs> and when you say something dropped from the tree, you mean a person, right? Not just like a fucking yeah. log fell down and cut like, their heads we don't off. See, like, we don't see it, but we just see a blur fall out of the tree and cut two heads off, and then we see a camera get picked up off one of their heads and look at an eye. It's and drop bears. Where, yeah. Like, the way you describe that, of just something falls from the tree. I'm just imagining just they're running along. It's like, I'm coming to get you. <laughs> and well, like most, you see, most of the time when this happens in anime, they show you the outline of the person and like the flow of the attack. Yeah, All like, they do with this is they just they cut up to a tree and then cut to a perspective of something falling out of the tree on top of these people and then cut away as the heads are cut off. So you don't see anything. You just assume it's a person when you see No, the I, eye. I know. Just, just the way you described it, my, my initial reaction was like, wait, did like a branch fall down and cut their heads off? Yeah. Uh, so cut to the next day where... Some emo motherfucker is walking along the top of a roof, uh, walks back to his house, runs into his sis- his adopted sister who is late for work at the police station where she is investigating the murders. Um, 
in the middle of the murders, a poorly dressed, poorly shaven, haggard looking guy shows up and starts hanging around the crime scene, who turns out is a ace-esque detective who has not worked active crimes in a few years related to a grisly murder that occurred seven years ago. He has earned the... Uh, his name is Keith Flick. Okay. I'm thinking this anime is probably more marketed to an international audience because there's only like one or two characters with Japanese names. Keith but he's, Flick. Yes. And he's, he's codenamed the Genie. Hmm. I'm trying to work a flick the bean joke in there somewhere. Well, you flick the lamp. You got to get something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. So, just um, just imagine that in a crime scene, just it's like very fucking solemn crime scene music playing. It's like, detect the flick. Yeah. To be fair, it's it's only slightly sillier in the fact that they don't call him that. They mostly just call him Genie, which is a little distracting for me. <laughs> oh, God. Like a few years ago, this voice would have been played by Robin Williams. It would have been even weirder. Yeah, just a super fucking dark, serious murder mystery story. And then Robin Williams just fucking doing cut-ups. Yeah. Okay, so um, the third of the Deliverance brothers... Wants revenge on the guy who beheaded his brothers. Um, At which point a guy with red hair and a red suit comes up and says, I can help you find the guy who did this if you do something for me. Oh, sure, Satan. (laughs) That thing in question be steal a uh, experimental stealth tank from inside a truck and use it to go on a rampage. You do realize that I'm not exactly capable of performing such an operation. I work a video camera for my rape brothers. Yeah. Also, I've I've been described as a deliverance-looking motherfucker. Maybe like yeah. Maybe like get those guys from the Fast and Furious franchise. I'm pretty sure they actually used to plot yeah. one of the movies. They told they told Tank. Yeah. And then Tyler well, I mean, will get crushed. Again. No, it's just um <laughs> I don't know. It's just the um okay, so yeah, they steal the tank, uh go on a bit of a rampage on a on a one of those on a, on a like a highway over the ocean. Disappears into a tunnel and flees from sight. Uh, they don't see him again until uh, the genie pulls out of his ass. Oh, there must have been a tunnel underneath that tunnel, and that must lead somewhere. And they're like, "What? How could that possibly?" Oh, wait, it does. <laughs> and yeah, we I think no, I heard you like tunnels. And I get. I'm thinking a major inspiration for this series might be Sherlock, because. Um, Aside from, like, the messy, antisocial, burnt-out detective thing, uh, he, as he, we see as he's thinking stuff written on the screen that are, like, his thoughts as he's, act, as he's working out crime scene stuff that, uh, 
it, it's just what Sherlock does. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. It's what Sherlock does. No, yeah, I get it. Like, that's that thing's been around for a bit. I've seen that in a few other shows, but yeah, Sherlock is the one that popularized it. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, shocker of all shocks, uh, the emo guy who is the brother of the of the ditzy female cop I mentioned earlier is B. Oh my guard! And so once he hears about the tank being used to hijack a train, which is the next part. Wait, I mean, what? <laughs> yeah. The fucking deliverance asshole stole the tank? Yeah. I mentioned that before. How? Uh, the red guy was driving it for him. He was just asked to shoot. So it wasn't, so it wasn't, hey, you steal a tank on a rampage. It's, hey, I'm going to steal the tank. Would you like to come? Kind of. But they also needed, uh, okay, so I'll get to that part. Um, what, they needed a fall guy? Like, yes, yeah, officer, actually, I am the one who broke into that high-tech government facility and stole this tank, which I then drove and shot. Yeah, basically. If you excuse me, uh, officer, would you mind moving your foot? You're standing on my banjo. Yeah, because um, a, a, a subplot of this series is that there's this group of criminals who fund and influence other criminals in order to like give them a convenient cover for them to pull off their own crimes. Wasn't that the plot of Nemesis? Maybe. I, don't, I never saw Nemesis. No, not the movie. The Mark Millar book. I didn't read that either. So, yeah, the end of it, it's revealed that some that the fucking nemesis bought the nemesis persona from some fucking hobgoblin looking motherfucker. Yeah, I mean, it's not that. I mean, like in the third in the second and third episode, um, this group of criminals aids a psychotic, self-obsessed, whiny white boy in creating a new form of poison gas to uh, it act as a terrorist and terrorize the mayor and the people of this city, ostensibly just to give themselves a smokescreen to lure out B and steal something from the party. So this is not... Yeah, this is... This this dives into... This this was the problem I had with um, Darker Than Black 2, that the plot is a little overly complicated for something that's kind of simple. Yeah, like, uh, God, Jesus Christ! Like it's, it's a murderer. A to, it's a murderer killing murderers, and a cop trying to find him. Yeah, that's like, yeah, you can make that a bit fucking in depth, but it shouldn't be some fucking. Yeah, we also have like Mac- international organization of criminals, and, and this all thing, the clans that, are that, coming that. together. <laughs> it should just be like, hey. I need to find this murderer. He has friends. This is going to be hard. Like it should yeah. be a fucking noir story. Yeah. I just, w- I just wish, um, and I can't remember who it was. It's, I think, uh, might've been at the stage who said it, that like a lot of times sci-fi, uh, stories confuse density and, um, opaque plot machinations with depth. Yeah. And this is definitely one of those times where it's like, you guys didn't have to make this this fucking complicated. Yeah. And it's a shame, too, because... Just have a murder boy be hard to find and go. 
Yeah. Have you guys and read Pluto? Shame. And it's a shame because the the fight choreography is really good. There's an extended fight scene of a character who can fly uh, gliding down a building on a skateboard while throwing grenades and knives at a guy who grows crow wings and keeps trying to cut her legs out from under her. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fucking cool. And it ends with like a fight between two characters who can form blades out of parts of their body on a mostly empty lake at on at at high at uh, midnight with a full moon with like uh, lights on with like little light things on the lake. It's the fucking so opening. It's, it's the fucking opening fucking like slum fight from Ghost in the Shell, starring Rancic from Power Rangers. Yeah, kind of. It's that sounds it's, fucking metal. It's gorgeous. It's fun to watch. It's just the plot is so up its own ass. And there was like this. And that was the thing that I was noticing more in the fight scene in episode three that I'm describing. Because the whole time this fight is happening, they have the villain talking. And I'm like, please shut up. <laughs> like, nothing you say means anything. And it's just verbose and stupid. Just let me enjoy what you're doing. <laughs> Man, this came out on my birthday, too. Oh, it did? Yeah, March 2nd this year. Okay. I wasn't exactly sure when these shows came out, so... Yeah, uh, this one was specifically March 2nd this year. Yeah. And, like, so... I will watch a couple more episodes of this to see if it manages to come together and not just devolve into navel-gazing, which a series like this often does. Yeah. But I'm honestly... What's weird is, despite... From what I've heard... I probably should have given Ico Incarnation more of a chance because from what I hear, despite the density of the plot dumps of the first few episodes, um, the second half of the series mainly uses that so that it has an excuse to tell a developed, interesting story with a lot of weird body horror. Like, there's this scene that has been showing up online a lot of, like, a alien, like, womb thing giving birth to a copy of the main character that forms itself out of green goo, wakes up, looks around, and then starts crying because she doesn't know where she is or what's happening. Spider-Man? Uh, no, not quite the same, but I see what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it took you a second. I, I, I don't I was, automatically jump to the other. Sorry. I, I, was, I was like, oh, fuck, I messed up. I fucking messed up. Shit. <laughs> but yeah, uh, this is... It's not bad, it's just it needs to get out of its own way. Yeah. If that makes any sense. No, yeah, that makes total sense. <laughs> Alright. So I might talk about that one again at some point. But talking about something that shouldn't be funny, but is in comparison to the actual comedy series. This is as a horror series, but it's more of a comedy series. Kurosagi Corpse Delivery Service. Okay. Alright, so... Check this as a premise. Um, our main character is a is a senior at a Buddhist uh, university in Japan who is flat broke and can't find a job. So he joins up with a he he gets roped into being doing some volunteer work, uh, di- disposing of bodies at crime scenes with a group of uh, uh, Buddhist. Um, I, I don't want to uh, say uh, corpse workers because that seems kind of too morbid for what they're supposed to do, but it's kind of what they're doing. Um, 
And it turns out all of them in this group have some weird ability. Him being the weirdest of all because he's a spirit medium. Okay, then. And like in the more in the most literal sense, in that if he touches a dead body, he can be possessed by the spirit of the that was tied to the body, and have it speak through him. Okay. And so they use this to sort of learn how to properly dispose of like murdered bodies or suicides or dumped bodies that they find. Uh, the first case being a, and this is kind of it's, it's mostly episodic. It's mostly carried by its characters. Uh, and the first plot is the weird is weird in that um, the main character find uh, the body he finds tells him to bury him with his uh, ex girlfriend who was a popular idol who their relationship had become strange which became an idol turns out it wasn't because of uh, her fame but because her father is a creepy pedophile oh goody yeah but don't worry um, it gets creepier when we find out that uh, the girlfriend's body was not buried where it said it was buried and the the dad has embalmed the corpse of his daughter and put it in a seat for him to act all creepy around for however long he intended to do that. Yay! But it ends great because through um, uh, the main character's powers, he manages to allow the corpse, the, the spirit of the dead boyfriend to possess its own corpse so that it can come back to life and strangle the dad. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. This seems neat. Yeah. Oh, and this is and this is where the term corpse delivery service comes from. Um, amongst the first dead guy they finds effects, they find a lottery ticket, and so uh, they ask him, "Hey, can we ask the spirit if he'll haunt us if we take his shit?" So he does. Like, no, it's fine, and. Turns out it's a winning ticket worth 3 million yen. And so the leader of this little group who is, despite being a Buddhist, uh, I guess you could say nun since she's female herself, is basically like, okay, we're going to turn this into a business. <laughs> like, in illegal people, rich people, we're going to get some uh, le- uh, effects left behind on dead people. We're going to get some money out of this shit. And they all collectively look at us like, are you insane? But it's like, is anyone else going to hire you for a job? And they all look at us like, oh, fuck. Yeah, true. <laughs> so yeah, this is a technically a episodic horror mystery series, but it's a fairly heavy dose of comedy. Like, there's a scene with a serial killer who kills people by probabilities. Okay. Like, the way they describe it, like, he knows enough trivial information about the probability of stuff happening that he can sort of unnaturally predict that it will happen. Okay, okay, that makes more Okay, yeah. I mean, I still don't quite get the way it works out, the way it's portrayed, but it's weird enough, so whatever. And he's an, he's an evil insurance salesman, so him getting struck by lightning was funny. Cool. So, yeah, uh... Check it out if you're curious. Yeah, so some other, so fun other things that I actually haven't read up about the series. Uh, so if you're interested in checking it out yourself, um, Dark Horse puts it out in English. Yep. Um, the series takes place in the same universe as two other manga from the creators of this one. Yeah, I think they're spinoffs of this one. Um, 
Not for looks, but they came before her. Oh, okay. So with with the exception too. of um, male. Yeah, so this series began in 2002. Uh, one that it spins off from, um, MB, MPD Psycho, uh, started uh, started um, air, started being printed in 1997. And then male, okay. the other one, uh, is in 2004. All right. Another thing, uh, there is a live-action U.S. adaptation of this thing in development. Okay. With the only news I've been able to find from it being a small bullet point at the bottom of the solicitation for Volume 6 on Dark Horse's website. I wonder if that's one of those things that they said they might do but didn't. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. It just Um, says, now in development from 2008. Okay. <laughs> sure. I mean, to be fair, this seems like one of the ones that would be a little harder to screw up, but eh, whatever. Um, anyway. Okay, so uh, one more quick thing, and this one is definitely up your alley. Uh, Blade of the Immortal. Alrighty. Um, so you know who Takashi Miike is? Yeah. <laughs> I, may, I may or may not have heard the name. Yeah. So, um... For those who don't know, Takashi Miike is the kind of director that makes Dead Man happy he's alive or dead, I suppose. I... Uh, because he is the grossest, most cartoonishly ridiculous, ultra-violent motherfucker that has ever existed. Like, Yeah, okay, alright. Um, Ichi the Killer. Yeah, Ichi the Killer. Yeah, that's his most famous film. It's not his the only first, film by any... The first ever movies and television podcast we did for this website... We use the Ichi the Killer title card that was formed from that character's semen as the featured image. Yep. That sounds about right. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, and actually, funny thing, tying so, in, um, tying in um, Takashi Miike also did a live-action adaptation of MPD Psycho. Yeah, makes sense from what I know about MPD Psycho. This motherfucker. So, so last year... Um, Takashi Miike adapted the manga Blade of the Immortal to a movie. So, given Takashi Miike's tendencies, I was curious what kind of manga he would want to adapt himself. So I read it. And yeah, this is a this is something Takashi Miike would want to direct himself. Because nice. um, the premise is that this guy who is known as the the thousand the hundred blade killer. And not in the sense that he's killed a hundred blades. It's that he has a hundred different blades that he has used in various combinations to kill people. Um, (laughs) uh, Kind of goes, uh, gets a little, he goes a little emo when his sister is driven mad by the fact that um, he sort of killed her husband in front of her when he tried to kill him. Because her husband was a member of a of like the shogunate police force, and he had been murdering lords because his own lord had betrayed him. Well, all and right. uh, things get weirder when an eight hundred year old nun shows up and fills him with worms. <laughs> They're specifically called holy worms. I got these words from the grave of Jesus. Yeah, and these worms, when they're infested in a body, uh, 
stitch up damage and make you immortal. Well, alrighty then. But having just driven his sister mad and increasingly growing tired of killing, growing a, becoming immortal doesn't really help him all that much. <laughs> yeah, no. That... Like, to the point where when his uh, driven insane sister is kidnapped by a group of um, thugs who want to force him to fight them in honorable combat, he's like, yeah, look, okay, I lose, you guys get it, uh, can I just have my sister back? And they get so offended that they stat that they behead her. <laughs> I should not have snorted at which point that. They, at which point they take his moment of grief as an excuse to kill him and say, wow, that was easy, at which point he just gets up and pulls the sword out and they're like, oh. Right, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. So from the looks of things, the actual plot of this series, because that's just the intro, is that he is uh, he makes a deal with the nun because he wants to stop being immortal. That if you, if I, uh, since the reason, according to the nun, the reason the, the worms stay in any person is if they have some sort of unfinished business or sin or like heavy conscience that they feel needs to be relieved before they can pass on. So he says, if I kill a hundred really awful people, will you take the worms out of me? And she's like, uh, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love it if it's that blasé, just, what? Sure, whatever. It's not not exact same wording, but basically, yeah, sure. (laughs) Yeah, whatever, dog. Cool, you don't want my fucking worms? Spend all that time putting them in you? Okay. Yeah, so uh, no, no, I, I, forgot, I, forgot, I forgot to mention his name is Manji. Uh, so cut to two years later, uh, and a sword school is being assaulted by a group of swordsmen who, the leader of which has a personal grudge against this particular sword school, but seems to hate all sword schools in general, and he wants to unite them all under his one sword technique. That's literally what it's called, as far as I can tell from the the way it's phrased. But, uh, so yeah, then they've got weird, creepy thugs working for him. So the daughter survives, but the father is murdered and the mother is raped and kidnapped. So the daughter goes looking for help, um, eventually finds said nun, and direct, who directs him towards Manji, directs her towards Manji. After some minor back and forths where... She says, oh, you're the guy who wants to kill a hundred evil people. Uh, well, I've got all these evil people who I want revenge on. Can you help me kill them? And him going like, look, look, honey, are they actually evil? Or do you just hate them because they've wronged you? It's like, well, they killed my father. It's like, did he deserve it? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he stuck with this, like, this moral ambiguity thing. It was like, look, I can kill people that have done other people wrong, but are those people actually evil? <laughs> It's like I have I have this like I have this twelve point I have this twelve point quiz that I need you to fill out. Yeah, luckily the uh, bad guys in question do him the favor of doing stuff so heinous that there is no question that they are the most evil. <laughs> in that the first one is a pedophile hitting on the daughter of the woman he raped and the father he he murdered, and and this is the creepy part. He sewed the girl's mother to his head to his shoulder. Okay. 
Yeah, he did the same thing to his to his first wife. So he has two heads sh- sewed to his shoulders. Just hanging out there? They talk? Or are they just there? No, they're just there. Okay. I don't know if that's better or worse. <laughs> yeah. So, after Manji... It, the guy, of course, not knowing Manji's immortal, uh, cuts his arms off, his legs off, thinking that will kill him. So <laughs> Manji, so Manji just crawls over and from behind and stabs him with the sword. He's like, "What? How?" <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of dark comedy in this too, which is probably another reason Mike directed it, because <laughs> like after this fight is over. Um, the the girl starts beating him for because like he makes a comment. It's like, why are you letting this pedophile? Because the pedophile was trying to tr- talk the girl into killing herself, and so it's like, why are you telling this pedophile tell you what to do? And like, why are you that offended? Why are you that turned on by the idea of an older man wanting you? You're ba- you barely are old enough to know what sex is. And, and she gets so offended by this, she starts stabbing him with her own sword. It's like, God damn it, stop doing that. That's just annoying. Ow, ow, stop it. Still hurts. Ow, ow, fuck. I can't afford new clothes. Yeah. yeah that sounds pretty so, great. Yeah. yeah, so this is gory, funny, dark, and demented. Hey, also, basically, there was an anime of it that was done by Production IG. Yeah, I haven't watched that. I might because it, if it's production to IT, it'll probably look good. Although it might, I don't know, it, it, you can't turn down the gore on this. Yeah, like there are certain anime you can get away with toning down the gore from the source material. You can't do that with this. Particularly, like at the end of the first volume, there's a former ninja who is now an artist who is trying to find the perfect ink for his uh, splatter paint paintings. And when a guy gets beheaded in his room, he's like, "Yes." This is it. Perfect. This is what I've been waiting for. And then someone crashes through uh, the door and crushes his artwork, and he's just left there in stunned silence for like ten pages until he interrupts a fight and cuts a guy's head off. It's like you ruined my artwork. Okay. Or- well, I'll just say this with that um, with that anime. Uh, it was co-production between Production IG and B Train. Uh oh. Who did the <laughs> first season of Metabots? A bunch no, of dot Train, ha- a bunch of dot hack series. Spider Riders. B Train is known particularly the 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 series that they've that they've earned the most critical acclaim for is Noir. And I remember talking to you about Noir, the series which has the great one of the greatest first episodes of all time, and then just goes steadily downhill from there. So I guess we'll see. Yeah. And I, I assume at some point you'll watch the Mikkei film. Yeah, probably. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Uh, that seemed like something Dead Man would read, if yeah. nothing else. Yeah, that's oh, I for- oh, I Oh, crap. I forgot this last one. Oh, God. <laughs> Whew, okay. I'm glad I saved this for last so it doesn't break the show. Yay. Red Man Princess. Uh, 
Do you know what this is? No. And I feel like I have to say, uh, so whenever Bernie says the name of a series and I give a like quizzical okay or huh, that is me trying to figure out if I remembered it, and if I don't remember it, then trying to figure out what it is from the title alone. Oh. And all I'm getting from this is the rapper Redman, but as a princess. Oh, it's worse than that, Dead Man. Oh, good. It's worse. Because you see, um, a Native American shaman hating all white people has decided to devote his spirit to tormenting all white people for all eternity and plans to come back in every lifetime to torment white people from every generation. And they established that the spirit's possession was responsible for the assassination of of Kennedy. That's what I've been reading that on the news. <laughs> and the princess part comes from the, the red man possessing a random Japanese girl so that he can use his Native American shaman magic to kill a half-Japanese, half-American chick. First piece of news. And then... I'm... I, I actually try... I, no, no. <laughs> why? I'm genuinely asking why. The series ran for nine chapters. Why? <laughs> because it got crazier. <laughs> we can stop. Had... We can stop whenever we want. We have. I have the power to do this. You have the power to do this. It ends with him fighting an army of Chinese hopping zombies. But I thought he fought white people. Yeah, but apparently white people and Native Americans hate Chinese zombies. I can't tell which direction this is racist in. I'm also looking at the other series that this author made. One of them is a Devilman series. That somehow seems appropriate. <laughs> yeah, Devilman G. Yeah. Oh. What else did he have? <laughs> uh. There's, there's a series called Hagare Idol Jigokuhen. Jigokuhen. This is the story of Misura Haibaru, an 18-year-old karate expert from Okinawa who went to Tokyo to enter the art entertainment industry in hopes of supporting her family. She gets tricked into being a graveur idol who wears lewd clothes and is forced eventually to enter the AV world, but she won't go down without a fight. One of the tags on this on fucking the yeah the the five highlighted tags on fucking manga updates are attempted murder, big breasts, borderline H, LGBT scenes and rape. Fifty percent of the people who read the series gave it a ten out of ten. 
So yeah, first up, there's a new manga coming out from the writer of the, the saga of Tanya the Evil, Carlo Zen. That series is called by Koku Kikan, also known as Treason Agency. That's coming out. It's it. I liked I liked Tanya the Evil. Moving on. There's going to be a live-action Gundam movie. Made by Legendary, so it might not suck. Yes. This will be the first ever live-action feature-length film of Gundam. No. According to the Glider, it is. It's not. Alrighty then. I don't know enough about Gundam. They made a movie called Gundam Legend in 1998. For not uh, for Canadian TV. Really? I cannot find that. G Savior. That's what it's called. G Savior. With the U, of course. Yeah. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, so suck it, fucking legendary. I think the, I think legendary would just prefer to I think Gundam fans would prefer to think G Savior doesn't exist. You got beaten by Polestar Entertainment. This has a four out of ten on IMDB. <laughs> For reference, people, if it's that low on IMDb, run. <laughs> I want to see it now. <laughs> it probably sucks, eh? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, don't you know? <laughs> yeah, we got Brendan Elliott in there. He's an actor from the 4400, eh? I don't even know what Canadian television channel it was made for, but it was apparently. <laughs> Granted, even if I knew the name, it probably wouldn't help. I don't know enough about Canadian TV other than CBC, so. Yeah. Um, there was a video game made about it for the two thousand for the PlayStation Two. And actually, Anime News Network gave it a. Positive review. Yeah. Calling it a pleasing mix of both sci-fi and adventure. Man, that sounds like a backhanded compliment. <laughs> oh, wow. This. Are you looking at screenshots of it? No, I'm still on the Wikipedia page. I kind of want this. <laughs> like fuck me that is a Canadian independent production company teamed up with goddamn the people Sunrise. who own Gundam and then made a movie and not just 
some fucking like 74 minute, like 90 minute with commercial breaks, a 93 minute for real movie. <laughs> I could import a copy of it from somewhere for $30. Really? It was made in Canada and you still have to import it? Yeah, welcome to Canada, motherfucker. That's how this shit goes. <laughs> yeah, or I could buy a used copy from Amazon America for $5. That honestly sounds high for a copy of this, but... <laughs> Remember, this Canadian film made by a Canadian company is $30 to buy in Canada. And it's $5 to buy in the States. I guess Canada really wants to protect their investment. <laughs> By the way, this is all. This, these are all for used copies. There are no new copies of this because, of course, there aren't. That I can kind of understand because you're Canadian and an anime fan and you didn't know this existed until t- two minutes ago. <laughs> to be fair, I'm not a Gundam fan. <laughs> Like, this was, yeah, this was about, I think, seven years before my anime conversion. Fair enough. Yeah, because that, that came out in 2000. I was eight. My exposure to anime was was pretending I watched Dragon Ball Z and pretending I didn't watch Sailor Moon. I didn't really start getting an anime for realsies until high school. I think I got into it in middle school because I was introduced to like Roroni Kenshin and Yu Hakusho in middle school. But yeah, I think the most anime I was into before that is Pokemon and Digimon. Yeah, exactly. Just some fucking shit that was on Saturday mornings that was made for 15 cents. No, I mean, I, I get that you wouldn't know what this is. It's just... I guess I'm enough of a Gundam fan that I'd heard the legends of this movie that Gundam fans are like, stay away unless you want to laugh. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, so the press release that they released reads... Speaking of back to the thing we were actually talking about, I'm sorry. (laughs) So... Legendary and Sunrise announced today at Anime Expo 2018 plans to co-produce the first ever live-action Gundam film version of Gundam. Based on Sunrise's... Okay, so I guess, I guess that means it's, it's still technically true if they mean, like, the original plot Gundam. Because G-Savior's not Mobile Suit Gundam, but... Oh. Te- yeah, so blah, blah, blah. Technicality, sorry. <laughs> the billion-dollar property was created in 1979, blah, blah, blah. The original Gundam series set in the Universal Century and era, blah, 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 blah. Story for live action is under wraps. Uh, the project will be overseen by Kale Boiter on behalf of Legendary with Sunrise with the Sunrise creative team. See, it is a, it is a co-production, so presumably they won't fuck it up too much. It could be also Sunrise remembers G Savior and is like, no, we can't let that shit happen again. <laughs> yeah, fuck that noise. We're not even releasing this movie in Canada. Get fucked. <laughs> what if they did that, though? 
what released they just do G Savior again, basically, essentially so no, no. that level. No, I mean no, I mean like they are so butthurt over G Savior, they don't even release the movie in Canada. Oh. I don't think Japan would do that because they like money, but who knows? <laughs> well, in that case, they how much money would they lose from Canada? Like a hundred bucks? I don't know. <laughs> like I don't know the demographics of global distribution. I spent some time looking at demographics. Canada isn't really on that list. It's the U.S., China, and the rest of the world. And that's it. The The film industry does not give a fuck about anywhere that isn't those two places. But anyway. That's going to do it for this week. Well, that was a weird note to go out on. <laughs> I, I guess look forward to the eventual riff of G-Savior. <laughs> Oh God! If only See, I, I I I broke the show and then brought it back. <laughs> Fucking if only, man. I feel I I would give anything to actually do a riff of that movie, but I feel like it's too hard to come by for too many people. Fair enough. Ah. <laughs> uh, anyway, we'll be back some point more of this and the search for a new third chair is still underway we have people on the docket looking uh looking to join up we'll be doing interviews with them letting you the folks at home know how that goes but until then i'm dead and i'm birdie see you guys next time <laughs>